Hi, everybody. This is Anne Louise Gittleman, and I'm the hostess with the mostess of your First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And today I have the distinct pleasure and honor of interviewing someone that I know exceedingly well. His name is James Templeton, who is a fourth stage melanoma survivor. His is a story of not giving up when all other avenues of conventional medicine fail. It's about taking control of your life and finding a way back from the brink of death. It's about being able to tell your friends, I used to have cancer. And it is also the name of his wonderful new book, I Used to Have Cancer, because as a fifth-generation Texan, James Templeton tapped into his fighting spirit and became an over 30-year cancer survivor who healed himself from a devastating diagnosis. So welcome, and how nice it is to have you with me today on the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Well, Anne Louise, it's wonderful to be here with you. It's just, uh, it's uh, an honor to be with you today. So my question to you is, and I know very much about your story, James and I, James was an, a client of mine many, many moons ago. That's how I first met him. And he is now a much more important person in my personal life. But what I'd like to suggest is that your book, I Used to Have Cancer, is a book that is not only inspiring, but it's one that incites hope when people have lost all hope. So tell us a little bit about your personal story and what was the aha moment that actually changed your life? Well, my story is a long story, of course, but my story started, I was living in Texas. I was a regular guy, a successful businessman, and I was only 32 years old at that time. And I thought everything was going pretty good for me. I had these uh, several small successful businesses. I had a small farm. I had a beautiful daughter that wasn't even two years old. I had a, a, a wonderful wife. I thought everything was going great for me. And I guess you could say I had life by the tail. And I was even in really good physical fitness shape. And I was one of these guys that you would see running down the highway all the time because I was a runner and I worked out three days or more a week in the gym. And I thought I was in pretty good shape and I was doing everything and, and uh, I was going to do really well. And the reason I got into all this exercise, Anne Louise, was because my father and my grandfather both died of heart disease at a very young age. Uh-huh. Now, I didn't want to be the next one, so that's why I got into this, and I read a book back then, back in the 80s, by a fellow by the name of Jim Fix, and Jim Fix was a guru back then in the fitness uh, uh, arena. arena, and he was this, this guy that felt that if you ran and you were in good physical fitness shape, then you, you wouldn't have heart disease. His father died at a young age of heart disease. And so I was really into this. I felt like if it worked for Jim, it worked for me. So you were a runner. Jim Fix was your idol. And then you happened to pick up a newspaper because I know your story very intimately well. You picked up a newspaper. And what was the changing headline that really cast a different light on your life? Well, I, I went to the office one morning, sat down with a cup of coffee, uh, grabbed the morning newspaper and looked at the headlines and it said Jim Fix running guru dies while jogging jogging down the side of a road and oh someone found him on the side of the road well here's this guy that I've been looking up to that thought I thought I was doing the right thing because of what he was doing now he dies of heart disease a heart attack I felt like I better reevaluate everything I felt like I better get myself checked out you know, and find out what kind of condition I was really in. So the next thing I did was I decided to go get one of these stress tests, cardio stress tests from a specialist there in the town I was living in. And it was one of those tests that they give you and you get you on the treadmill and they get your heart rate up as high as you can go and to see how uh, healthy your heart is, how you recover, all that. And the doctor told me when I went in there, he says, listen, he says, you're in tremendous shape. He says, I don't think I've ever seen anybody do as well on this test as you. Mm. I think you broke the record, the all time record. <laughs> and I'm there and he says, but you know, 
Uh, he says, you're going to live a long time. He says, I don't think you have to worry about your heart. We did a very thorough uh, examination on you. You're in tremendous shape. You have great health. And I, I that before then, I'd run up to 60 miles a week. So I was really, really into the the thing, the running thing and the exercise. And, and uh, but on the way out of his office, he says, there's only one thing I could even find to be even concerned about. Mm. He said that there's a mole on your back. Uh-oh. And he said that mole looks a little different to me. It looks a little strange. Probably nothing to be worried about. He says, I wouldn't think too much about it. But when you get a chance, uh, go down to a dermatologist and get checked out. He said, there's one right down the hall, actually. He said, then, uh, you know, just, just go in and see. That's the best thing to do. So I didn't think much about it. So what did I do next? You know, I went down to see this guy. I went down to that guy he was talking about a couple of weeks later. And when I went in there, the guy says, uh, I'll be right with you. Go in the office, take your shirt off and, and have a seat. So he, so he comes in the room. He looks at my back. He looks at the mole. I told him what the problem was with the mole. And he says to me right off the bat, he says, oh, my God. He says, I think you have melanoma. Mm. And he just got all excited. He started almost dancing around in the room. And he was very, very upsetting to me because, you know, all of a sudden, he's telling me I probably have melanoma. Now, I didn't know a lot about melanoma, but I knew it wasn't a good thing to have. So he told me right then that, this could be bad for me. He might have to remove a large portion of my back tissue. He said, people die from this. He went on and on about it, scared the heck out of me. And I decided to get up and I told him, I said, look, I'll get back to you. I'm gonna have to go home and think about this. So I left that office. I was very, very upset. I drove home and uh, when I got home, talked to my wife, we decided to get another opinion. I went to another dermatologist that I'd seen several years before, and he looked at it and said it looked suspicious to him also. But instead of him determining what it was, he said, let's just send you over to an oncologist. And he said, this oncologist is world renowned. It's a friend of his. He said, if anybody knows, he'll know. So I went to see this oncologist. It was down in Houston, Texas. And, uh, he says to me, well, it looks suspicious to me also. He said, the only way we're going to know is if we get in there and see exactly what it is. He says, I can remove this right here, right now in the office. If you want to, just lay down on the table and I'll uh, get ready and remove this thing for you. So he did. He took a big plug out of my back, probably a two-inch square plug. He said he was going to send it in to the lab. He'd get back to me in a few days. Well, it was a long time before he got back to me because he told me to go home. Don't worry. I'll get back to you real soon. Well, all I did was worry. All I did was walk around in the room upset and worried about what was going to happen. Couldn't sleep at night. But lo and behold, after two weeks, I got the phone call from him. And he said to me, he says, well, James, he says, I got some good news and I got some bad news. And he said, the good news, it's melanoma. And I'm like, good news. How can he wait a minute? Now, wait a minute. He says, the good news is melanoma, but we think we got it all around this peripheral area of this incision. He says, we couldn't find any signs of melanoma around the edges. So that's good news. Then he went on to tell me the bad news is that the melanoma is very deep. He says, it's very deep. And when it's this deep, he says it's not good because the melanoma is more likely to spread to other parts of the body. So we're going to have to really keep an eye on it. And he says, we're going to call this melanoma a stage four because of the depth of it. And uh, he said, that's something that's uh, we're going to just have to have you come in every three months and get checked up and see and just keep an eye on it and stay ahead of it. So that's exactly what I did. Uh, he told me not to worry, just live your life. Well, all I did was worry. You know, I wasn't a happy camper after this. But long story short, after a few months of getting checkups, I found a lump in my groin. And the next thing I did was go see this doctor. 
he actually thought that he should go in and see exactly what it was. So he, he told me to check in the hospital uh, down in Houston. I checked in. Uh, he said that hopefully it wouldn't be much to it. But I knew I was in trouble when I woke up because I had this large incision there and it wasn't some little biopsy or something. I knew it wasn't good. And uh, I was just laying there and here comes the doctor. And the doctor comes in the room and he says, well, I'm sorry to tell you, James, but this cancer has spread. It's in your lymphatic system Oh now. my goodness. And he says, that's not good. He says, we'd hope we wouldn't have this problem. Now we've got to really take care of it and really stay on top of it. And he said, I want you to do 80 chemotherapy treatments. Oh my God. 80 experimental chemotherapy treatments. Now, experimental back then was uh, the type I had was a hypothermia type uh, experimental chemotherapy. Uh, it's a little different than what they do now, but he was going to elevate my temperature with a typhoid serum. They would inject this typhoid serum into my blood and it would elevate my temperature to a very high level. And then once they got the temperature up, then they would give me the chemotherapy through an IV. Oh my God, it sounds worse than the possible cancer. Well, it was awful. So he went on and on about other things I needed to do. And it's all in my book, I used to have cancer. But uh, he went on to tell me right then, he says, uh, I think you have a 20% chance of surviving three to five years oh. if, if, he says, you can get through these chemotherapy treatments. Well, I mean, that didn't sound very good to me. So here I am. I was depressed before that, felt terrible about everything. And now I really didn't know what to do. So I laid there and I was just a miserable human being. And, uh, you know, I had to recover from the surgery. I would be in the hospital for several weeks recovering from the surgery. And I knew I had to do something else, but I didn't know what to do, Emily's. So you're in the hospital, you were in the peak of health, or so you thought, the peak of the best shape you'd ever been in. You actually ace the stress test, and then you find out that for heaven's sakes, you've got some sort of melanoma that is now spread to the lymphatic system. And you're in the hospital, this is a conventional hospital, I assume. You were rather conventional back then, I know things have shifted now, and that's a whole other story. But what did you do knowing you were in, you were facing a devastating diagnosis at the age of 32? Well, this was a regular, conventional, traditional medicine hospital. And, you know, Houston's known for their hospitals and their cancer hospitals and all that. And I was right flat in the middle of one of those hospitals. And I knew that something had to be done. I just didn't like the odds that I had. And here I was, 32 years old, and, you know, getting a diagnosis like this. So I'm laying there and all of a sudden the phone rings. I got a telephone call. And the phone was, a call was from a minister of mine, a church that I went to occasionally. Now I wasn't a real religious guy or anything, but I went to church occasionally. And this fellow I knew, and he calls me up and he says, James, this is Ron. And he says, I've been praying for you. I heard about your condition. I heard about what's going on. He says, and many other people are praying for you also. He says, I want you to know that if anybody can beat this cancer, you can. He says, I know that you're a guy that can push himself. I know that you're a guy that's, that's a, been a runner and you know how to really, you know, just go all out when you need to. And he says, I know that you can beat this. And he said, uh, right then, you know, he went on and on about this and he, he, he told me, he says, you beat this SOB in cancer. Wow. And I mean, yeah. And he said it the other way. I mean, he, full worded. But he was trying to shock you. He was. And, and it got my attention because here I was laying there feeling like, feeling sorry for myself, feeling like my life has, was going to end soon. And that I was, I guess you could say I was a blowed up duck, you know, just not much hope. But now this minister calls me up and tells me these things and then shocked me with what he said before he hung up the phone, it got my attention. So what did I do next? I started to pray. Uh. I started to pray like I never prayed in my life. And I never, I never knew that 
that you would feel like this when you're praying. But I felt like every cell in my body was praying. It was like a tingling sensation over my body. And I just, you know, prayed for God to give me an answer. I needed to find an answer. I needed to find something else that I could do to overcome this cancer. I knew there had to be something, but I didn't know what it was. So I prayed for probably, you know, I don't know how long, but I would say after I stopped praying, I always like to think it was about 20 minutes or so. I got a knock on the door. Mm. And, and here comes a friend of mine from college through this hospital door, a guy that I hadn't seen in over seven years. Mm. And he was a guy that I knew very well, worked with, hung out with in college. But he had found out I was in this hospital in my predicament, and he was driving around in the area of the uh, hospital. the hospital area in, in downtown Houston. He's driving around. He felt like, you know, he should come see me because he had information uh, from a friend of a friend of his where he worked about a guy that cured himself of cancer using a diet and lifestyle. Well, he knew that it would be probably good information for me, but didn't know if he should come by. But something inside of him at that moment told him to go in and see me in that hospital because I needed to see him. And he came in, he came in in that door and he was waving these papers in his hand. And, you know, I just was very surprised to see him. And he comes in, he said, you know, I heard you were in here from one of our old friends. He says, I hope I'm doing the right thing but I wanted to come and bring you these, these papers here in my hand. And it's about a guy that cured himself of cancer using a lifestyle and diet. Wow. And this guy was a well-known actor at that time on television. And he was on a team, a show called the oh, A-Team. Okay. Dirk Benedict. <laughs> Bless his heart. So Dirk Benedict had wrote a book called Confessions of a Kamikaze Cowboy. And uh, he explained in this book all about, you know, how he overcame cancer. Well, this was a book review that my friend had in his hands. So I got very excited and I knew right then that's what I was supposed to do. I knew I didn't have to think twice. He didn't have to talk me into it. I knew this is what I was supposed to do. This was my answer from the higher power. And I got very excited and I had my friend go out and get this book for me to read. And I, you know, I read this book and I was so, so excited now. All of a sudden, my my hope started to, to sure. kick in and my will started to, to, you know, kick in. So here I am feeling pretty good about things, even though I was drugged up on morphine and pretty much out of it. But you know what? I didn't feel bad all of a sudden. And so I'm laying there feeling pretty good. And I woke up the next day. Guess what happened the next day? You got another knock? I got another knock on the door. <laughs> I think I read your book. So I'm laying there and I got another knock on the door and here comes my stepmother through the door. She's got a book in her hand. This is the next day. She's come through the door with a book and it's about vitamin C and cancer, the book. Uh-huh. And it's written by a fellow by the name of Linus Pauling, which was a famous research doctor that did all this research with vitamin C. And it talked in the book about people that had terminal cancer and when they take high dose vitamin c they did very well some of them even overcame the cancer but they would live much much longer when they took high dose vitamin c and when they would stop taking the vitamin c many of them wouldn't wouldn't last very long so i felt that if it would work for them why won't it work for me so now i'm excited because i got two two uh weapons to use against this cancer i got a new diet and a lifestyle that i already made up my mind i was going to do if it would work for old dirk why wouldn't it work for me <laughs> yes so now i read this vitamin c book if it'll work for those poor cancer people in this book that they talked about and you know with linus pauling's information if it'll work for these people then why wouldn't it work for me also so now i'm going to do these two things well, the next day, I'm laying there in the hospital. I'm excited now. I went from this depressed, down-and-out guy to a guy that's got some hope going on now. Now he's feeling pretty good about things. He's excited about getting out of this hospital and getting started on all this. So what happens the next day? 
I got another knock on the door. There was three knocks in three days. He comes through the door. This guy comes through the door. Guess who he is? He's a psychotherapist from huh. the hospital. Huh. He comes through the door and he says, I, I'd love to talk to you, James. He says, I've heard that uh, you've been having a rough time here. And uh, he heard I'd been depressed and all this. And he wanted to talk to me. And he said, can I talk to you? And I said, yes, you can. He says, well, I'll come back tomorrow and uh, we'll have a sit down and we'll talk. So the next day he comes through the door and I asked it right off the bat. I said, listen, I got to ask you a question. Have you ever heard of a diet called the macrobiotic diet? Because that's what Dirk's book talked about, the macrobiotic diet. So he says to me, hold on a minute. He just took off towards the door. Well, I thought he's leaving. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what he, you know, I must have said the wrong thing. So anyway, it's funny. He goes out, he looks around the hall, goes and shuts the door, comes back in, and he says to me, yes, I have heard about macrobiotics, but he says, you have to promise that you'll never tell anybody about our discussion that we're going to have. I don't want to lose my job, my pension, all that kind of stuff. He said, I've been here for 20 some odd years. I don't want to, I don't want to end it right now. And he said, well, you promised not to tell anybody. And I said, of course. So he sat down. He, he went on to tell me that this diet had helped many people. He had heard unbelievable things about it. But he says, the thing about it is it's not an easy diet and lifestyle to follow because there's a lot of things you have to do. He said, you know, it's, it's for a person that's willing to roll up their sleeves and go to battle and to uh, do it 100%. You can't cut a lot of corners or you won't get the success. Now, I've read a lot of good things for those that really do it 100% get the best results. He said, I even tried it and I couldn't stick with it. But he said, I didn't have cancer. I just wanted to be healthier, but I couldn't do it. It's a lot of work. So he told me, he says, by the way, you don't even seem depressed. He said, you seem pretty excited. And I said, well, yes, I am. I've got, I've got a lot of things that I'm excited about now. And uh, this macrobiotic diet and, and is, is one of them. I'm very excited. So he told me, he says, you seem like the kind of guy that could do this. He says, so uh, it might be something that you want to consider to look into. So after this visit, I got very excited even more because I've got this guy is confirming everything I had been learning. And he was an expert. He was a very professional guy. Now, if he's telling me this behind closed doors, then I better really get excited. So I did. So I made up my mind then I was going to do it all. I was going to do the chemotherapy also. If the chemotherapy, uh, you know, uh, would help people, then why wouldn't it help me? So I thought that chemotherapy would go along with these other things and I'd do it all. So long story short, I ended up doing the chemotherapy. I actually did 10 treatments and it was the worst Head thing. Out of baby. Yeah, it was the 10, the worst things thing I ever did because I felt like I'd been to hell and back. I tell you, it was terrible because they elevated my temperature. They put weighted blankets on me. I was miserable. I felt like I had the worst case of flu I'd ever had and it wouldn't go away. That's how bad I felt. And I was just in terrible pain. And, you know, I was hopped up on a morphine just to help me get through the days. But after I got, got through with my 10th uh, treatment, I'm laying there because I had to do this every day. You know, it was eight to 10 hours a day with an IV in your arm. Oh. It wasn't just a couple hour thing like a lot of people do. They do chemotherapy, go to the doctor's clinic or office and get chemotherapy. This was on your back for probably most of the time, 10 hours. So you're there and you have to go five treatments at a time. And then you had to go home and recover for two months and then go do another five. That's how bad it was because you couldn't recover after five. It took, you know, a couple of months to recover to where you felt halfway decent. So I decided to do that, but I felt so bad. The second five treatments, it made me so sick. I felt like that, you know, I wasn't going to make it. That's how bad I felt. So every night people were dying left and right in the hospital. I could hear them at night. I would hear about these people that were dying of pneumonia. They were dying of pneumonia and kidney failure and things like that. 
Well, I realized right then that it wasn't the cancer that was killing them, it was these treatments. So I decided I better get the heck out of there. So one day, shortly after that, I had to stay in the hospital a few days to recover. The doctor comes in and he says to me, he says, well, I'm sorry you're having such a rough time because I you know, was. And he says, I'll tell you, your body's just not responding. We had hoped that it would, but it's not. And uh, he says, I don't know what else to do. And I said, well, what would you do for your son or daughter? He said, I'd do the same thing. And I said, well, doctor, I said, I could die in here from these treatments. And then he tells me, he says, well, we're all going to die someday. And it just got me so upset when he said that, that I raised up in the bed and I told him, I said, listen, if I could get out of this bed, I'd tear you apart. And I called him names that I won't even get into today. But, you know, I was so mad because he, he started to pull the hope away from me. He took my my will and, you know, just out from under me also. And I didn't want that. I wanted to uh, have some somebody that would give me some something to look positive towards. So, you know what I did? Two nights later, I snuck out of the hospital because I was going to have to stay in the hospital for several more days to recover. That's how sick I was. So I snuck out of the hospital at two in the morning and I never looked back. And uh, I tell you what, it's the best thing I ever did because I just wiped my hands at that point of, of pretty much conventional medicine. So your book so far, I used to have cancer and this is your life story of your memoirs. You demonstrated the power of prayer. Here you were, a, a, not a religious man by your own admission. You prayed and got three wise men, three knocks at the door. Right. And I also want to point out that the the fellow that inspired you, Kurt, tell us his name again. Was Dirk? Dirk Benedict. What was his name in the ace? The ace. His name in the eighteen. It's another. It's another. Yeah, show. and I found out this later because I really didn't realize it. I watched the show, but not you know a whole lot. But it was a popular show. And his name was Templeton, Templeton Peck on the show. Uh, they called him Face on the uh, on the show also. But his real name in the show was Templeton Peck. Well, my last name's Templeton. Well, if that's not a sign, what is? Exactly. And I also want to point something else out, which is another divine uh, coincidence, although I don't think there are coincidences. The book review that saved your life, which talked about Kamikaze Cowboy, was written by a gentleman whose name is Len Caston. Len Caston happens to be a personal friend of mine. James and I did not know each other when he was suffering from this cancer diagnosis. Uh, Len Caston was supposed to actually do an, a review of one of my new books, and instead he chose to do Kamikaze Cowboy which yes. helped to save your life. Yeah, we're sitting there at the table. When I first met Lynn, he walks in and we're talking, you know, and I guess Anne Louise or myself mentioned that I had recovered from stage four melanoma. And uh, he says, oh, really? And then I said, I read a book. And he said, well, what was the name of the book? And I said, uh, Confessions of a Kamikaze Cowboy. And I said, I got a book review from a friend of mine that came through in the hospital in a, in a magazine called Let's Live Magazine. And he says, oh, my God. He says, I think I wrote that review. He did. So after talking a little bit, we determined that he was the guy that wrote the book. So it's funny how life is, you know, how everything kind of goes in a circle. Circles. And, you know, and after I left that hospital and decided I was going to go to war and roll up my sleeves, and if that, if this diet and lifestyle and vitamin C and everything I was going to go do forward, uh, go, go forward with, um, I knew that if I couldn't do it, who could, you know, I was going to, going to beat this cancer. If it was the last thing I did, I was going to kick, claw, you know, scratch anything I could to, to beat this cancer. And that's how I went out of there with, with that kind of attitude. And I think that's, why I'm still here 34 years almost since that hospital stay. Wow. So give us a thumbnail sketch of the exact protocols that you used. You followed a macrobiotic diet. And why do you feel that that was a cancer destroying diet? What was it about 
this that helped your immune system? Well, the macrobiotic diet uh, back then was was pretty popular. And uh, of course, I'd never heard of it where I lived. You know, you go to the doctor when you get sick and, you know, you, you don't, that's all you know. But once I found out about this, it made so much sense. And, uh, you know, as I look back, it, it's just, it's not, it's, it's not really a miracle that it works. But what the microbiotic diet is base, basically made up of is about 50% grains in your diet, whole grains. And everything's organic. It's not, there's no corners cut. You have to have the very best of the best. So it's a high fiber it's diet. It's a very high fiber diet. And, and there's also about 25% is vegetables. Majority is cruciferous vegetables, alien vegetables. Uh, it, these are very important for fighting cancer. They, they are the key factor in foods that you have to eat no matter what diet. You know, it's, it's a non-negotiable food that you need if you're fighting cancer. So it contains a lot of these vegetables in the diet. It also contained uh, uh, soups. Now we had a lot of miso soup, which is very, very high in the good bacteria. It's made from soy. A lot of people think, well, soy is not good, but soy, fermented soy is very, very healing. Very anti-cancer. Yes. So the miso soup we had once or twice every day, and we had a lot of vegetables in that also, and we had other soups. So about 10% of the diet was soups, because every almost every meal I had a soup. And there was about 10% was beans, different kinds of small beans like lentils, chickpeas, aduki beans. These are the small beans. They're high in protein, but very low in fat. Now, this is, this is our way of getting enough protein because a lot of people don't get enough protein in these, some of these diets. But this gave us enough protein where we felt satisfied, our energy was good through the day. And, you know, there's a lot of fiber in all these foods. And fiber is so, so important because cancer is caused from lots of toxins in the body. Everybody that has cancer is over toxic. So when you, when you eat a diet that's so detoxifying and has so much fiber, it not only detoxifies you, but it also acts as a prebiotic, which is good to produce more probiotics, the good bacteria in your system, which consists of about 80% of your immunity. So when you have cancer, you want some kind of a diet that not only detoxifies, but also uh, helps stimulate and produce more of the good bacteria in your system and uh, you and also uh, has cancer fighting properties in it and this diet also had about five percent sea vegetables which is very very high in minerals certain minerals that are very important for and and other aspects for fighting cancer so the macrobiotic diet was a wonderful thing but the key to it is eating a wide variety, chewing your food very well. They say 50 times. Well, I decided that if 50 was what they recommended, I was gonna do it 180. I don't know where I got the 180, <laughs> but I chewed my food for, for at least a couple of years, 180 times a mouthful. And that sounds like, how could you do that? But you basically are chewing liquid, but it's so easy on your digestive system. We're trying to take the load off of your digestive system we want to build up your immune system. So, so why just swallow food and make your system work so hard? So, so I just have to bring up that when you talk about a high grain diet, you know that that is very antithetical to what is now popular in the culture. People are talking about high fat, high, higher fat, ketogenic style diets. How does this meld with a ketogenic diet? Well, there's, there's people that have these different ideas, but, you know, high fat, but, you know, fat is hard to, is harder to break down. And, you know, a lot of people just can't break, digest it. And a lot of people can't. Now, the grains, you know, I think if I was going to do this over and I was going to do a macrobiotic diet, I think I would eat less grain. The reason is, is that I think, I think whole grains is different. Now, we didn't eat cracked grains. We didn't eat processed grains you get in a package at the health food store or the grocery store. You know, we were eating this stuff. It's like acting like a broom in your system. 
And you know, the thing about it is, is you want to avoid as much sugar as you can. And in any kind of diet, anything that turns into sugar high on the glycemic index, anything like that, you've got to eliminate as much sugar as possible to, to kill cancer cells. And the thing about it is, is these fat diets, I think are hard for people. Now, you know, and all this protein that people are eating in the, in the, is very hard to break down because it uses up your vital enzymes. Uh, you've got to have food that's easier to digest. And when you have to digest all this meat, it breaks down your, your trypsin, chymotrypsin, which are key enzymes for killing off cancer cells in the body. And cancer cells, as they uh, proliferate, as they, they grow and multiply, start to develop a membrane. It's a fibrinogen membrane around these cells, which protects these, these cells and these tumors from the immune system. So our immune system doesn't recognize it. So enzymes are so important because it keeps the body's immunity and the body's ability to destroy cancer cells because we all have cancer cells in our body. Some of us have several, several million cancer cells uh, you know, in our body, some, sometimes several hundred million cancer cells in our body, and they're walking around, they think they're cancer-free. It just hasn't gotten high enough yet to really start, start to uh, uh, proliferate. proliferate into, into uh, tumors, you know, and usually when you get up to, they say, around a billion cells or so, then you start to have real problems. That could take 10, 12 years. But, but the idea is, is these diets really use up a lot of your enzymes. So I, I need to ask you this question because there are a lot of people that are writing and they're not even four stage melanoma survivors. They're not late stage cancer survivors the way you are. They, they haven't survived for 30 years, but they're promoting a vegetarian, a vegan, a raw foods diet. What is your concept about that? What is your opinion about that? In other words, is there one diet that fits all cancers? Just to be a leading question. No, there's not one diet because, like I said earlier, there's certain non-negotiable factors that you have to abide by when you when you're fighting cancer. But a lot of the thing, I mean, you hear a lot about juicing. Now, I'm not against juicing whatsoever at all. But if that's all you do, it's very cooling to the body. The body has to stay at a certain temperature to be healthy. And when you when you're taking all these cooling foods and raw foods and everything everybody's eating. It's very, very cooling on the body. So we need warm foods. We need a balance of foods, some cooling foods, but more warming foods. And I'm not talking about overcook everything. I'm talking about a variety of saute, light boiling, steaming, uh, steaming stewing. Yeah, it's just everything because it's all about variety. But, you know, just go, go hog wild on one, one uh, vegetarian just routine. vegans, you know, in my view, in my view, routine. So are there certain cancers that lend themselves well to a vegetarian diet? Are there other cancers where you need more protein? Well, there's certain uh, cancers that they say, now I'm not saying this, but I've read this over the years uh, by people that have done a lot of work with cancer. In some cases, uh, certain cancers that like uh, like a uh, melanoma, like what I had. In some cases, I've read this, melanomas, lymphomas, uh, uh, leukemia. These, are, these diets, I mean, these kinds of cancers tend to do better for some people with a more uh, slight uh, amounts anyway of animal food. They seem to do better with that. Now, you get a lot of other cancers which are sort of uh, cancers like prostate, uh, breast cancer, other hard tumors, those tend to do better with a vegetarian diet. So there is a reason, if you look at the Eastern philosophy of it, I think it may be the reason, one of the reasons is because when they talk about an Eastern philosophy, even like macrobiotics, they talk about the yin and yang, the, the expansion and the contraction, some tumors, are more expansive, some are more contracted. You know, the harder tumors uh, in the organs, in the body, deep within the body, are more contracted tumors, are more yang tumors. 
So it only makes sense that you would try to, to battle these with, with uh, bring them back to balance a little bit things and start to kill things off and detoxify with a more yin type diet, which would be more vegetarian type diet. Now, a uh, diet like melanoma is, tends to have qualities of yin and yang extreme. So you want to maybe have a little bit, uh, in some cases, maybe fish, things like that, a little bit with it, but not get overboard. And that's what the macrobiotic diet did so well, because we would have a little bit of fish. And it depends on your condition. Some people have more fish than others, but we would have fish soups and things like that. But I did very well on it. That, but after a few years, after probably uh, four or five years of being really, really strict, my body started needed needed at least needed to widen out and start to to put a little bit more uh, protein into my diet. It seemed to work better for me at that point. But sometimes you have to go for a couple of years or more and really detoxify on a deep level and follow a really strict, sometimes more vegetarian diet works very well for a lot of people. Okay, so your program, I Used to Have Cancer, How I Found My Way Back to Health. Your, your book outlines your dietary program, your supplemental program. I know you took a lot of vitamin C. I don't want to give away the, the store right now, but how much basically did you take to heal yourself from cancer? Well, what I did back in those days is uh, Linus Pauling talked about people that took uh, 10,000 milligrams a day of vitamin C tend to live much longer than people that didn't. And I started to think, that, well, if 10,000 is good, I'll do 20,000. So I did approximately 20,000 milligrams a day of vitamin C. Now, I didn't know much about the vitamin C back then, but I learned because I took a vitamin C that was a time-released vitamin C, which slowly releases vitamin C into the body. And I worked very well for me. It also had lysine and magnesium in it that helped, uh, helped this vitamin C product to be more gentle on my stomach because sometimes it's very acidic, ascorbic acid can be very acidic and hard to digest and hard on your stomach. So I found this, I didn't know what I was doing, but after uh, following uh, or using this vitamin C, this time-release vitamin C, I started to really notice a huge difference. After about three months, it was like, I was like a different person. But I used about 20,000 then, and to this day, I use, oh, probably half that, sometimes more, depends. But, uh, you know, for all these years, I've used a lot of vitamin C, never had any issues, felt great. Uh, I use a vitamin C now, along with the time-release vitamin C, I use a fat-soluble vitamin C, which seems to be very well absorbed because of the, the research and the things I've read about it. So vitamin C, you know, there's a whole slew of other nutrients that you mentioned in the book that work with the vitamin C. Were there other detoxification therapies and treatments that you did to heal yourself along the way? Well, yes, I, I discovered along the way, and actually, because I went to one of your lectures many, many years ago, Ooh. and you were talking <laughs> about intestinal parasites, ah. and you were having a seminar and I didn't know you at that point, but someone invited me to go, a good friend of mine and yours now, invited me to go and see you speak. And that's where I first saw you. And you were talking about parasites. You were talking about how it was one of the most immunosuppressive things you could have in your system. And I had been around a lot of animals. I had a lot of dogs and cats. I had uh, uh, cows and hogs. I had a farm in Texas that I talked about earlier, a small farm. So I'd been around a lot of this, and uh, it only made sense after hearing you speak that maybe I had parasites. I'd traveled. I'd been to Mexico. I'd been to different places. I'd had digestive problems on and off. Uh, it only made sense that maybe, maybe I should talk to you. So I went up to talk to you, mm. and you told me right then, you said, listen, uh, I think you might have parasites. And I said, well, how do you know? And you said, well, 
<laughs> she said, you have this look oh, yes, about you, and it's, it's kind of that parasite look. And I mean, after that, I mean, who could argue with you? You were the expert back then about parasites. So you told me and invited me to go along with you right. at that point to see a world-renowned parasitologist in New York City uh, by the name of Dr. Herman Bueno. Yes. And I went to see peace. him. Yes, may he rest in peace. And I went to see him and found out that I had Loaded. Giardia, Amoeba, Ascaris, which is none other than roundworms like you get from animals. Uh, and I was loaded, and he told me he had never seen a case of cancer or AIDS that didn't have some kind of parasitic involvement. Now, this guy really, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, him guessing. He looked at, he took a, a, a stool uh, tissue swab, and he put it under the microscope, under one of those teaching microscopes, where I could see one side and him the other, and he, he could show me everything under there. And this guy told me right then, he says, you're loaded, my friend. And he recommended that I take herbal formulas, herbal parasite formulas, because he, he said at that point, he was a medical doctor, but he didn't recommend the drugs because he said he didn't have good results with the drugs. So he put me on these herbal formulas that seemed to work for me. After three months later, I went through this cleanse it was a very interesting time. Before I knew it, though, I went back and I was can uh, parasite free, <laughs> parasite free. And then I got to thinking about all these friends of mine and people I had met that had cancer. And I thought about what the doctor had told me. And I said, you know, I bet you that they all have parasites too. So it started me to thinking about what I wanted to do next in my life. And that's, that's what really led me to the things that I've been doing in uh, these days, uh, the last uh, 28 years. Right. I know that you've got a company. You're the CEO of Unikey Health Systems, and one of the premier signature flagship products is the Parasite Cleansing products that both you and I put together and yeah. has helped millions of people get well because, as you so rightly say, parasites are the most immunosuppressive agent in the human body. So I know that you cleansed yourself of parasites, you took high doses of vitamin C and other nutrients, followed a very, very strict macrobiotic diet, and there was one other therapy that you talk a little bit about, I think you mentioned it in the book as well, would yes. you explain the mistletoe? Well, I learned from a friend of mine when I was uh, living up at the, at the Cushy Institute in Western Massachusetts, it was the, the leading place to be for macrobiotics back in those days. And I learned from one of these uh, friends of mine, it was a macrobiotic teacher, they suggested that I go see a doctor there. He was a medical doctor. He was an anthroposophical doctor that was, was uh, trained out of Germany. And uh, he was a Rudolf Steiner doctor at that point. And he told me when I went to see him, he says, the reason that you got cancer in the first place, and it sounded interesting to me, he said, it's because your body and, and your spirit have separated. And he started to go on about that. And he says, the best way to bring things back to balance is something called Iscador, which is none other than a type of mistletoe that I ended up getting from Germany. And I would have it shipped and I injected this mistletoe for a year. And uh, that was something that really seemed to stimulate my immune system. And that's what it really does. It stimulates your immune system so high that it starts to rev it up. And, and it's very, very important to have a strong uh, immune system. And that's, that's what it does for, for uh, help fight cancer off. So that was another thing that I did. But I wanted to just say one thing. We talked about the parasites. And I wanted to say one other thing, if I could. You know, when I used to go to the veterinarian, and I did many times with my animals, and that, that's the first thing they check for is parasites. If any of you go to a veterinarian, it's the first thing most of the time they check for is for your dog or cat is parasites. Well, why are they checking for parasites? But that's the last thing any doctor's ever even talked about to me is checking for parasites. Usually they don't even talk about it. So why wouldn't medical doctors check for parasites if it's so immunosuppressive? 
that's the thing that bothers me. I know the reason is mainly because they didn't study this in medical school, but uh, I find that very, very interesting. So we've come to the end of the First Lady of Nutrition podcast, and I used to have cancer. What are the three takeaways you would like to leave our audience with in terms of finding their own way back to health? Well, I think it's so important for people if they're if they're misfortunate enough to be diagnosed with cancer, and unfortunately, almost one out of two of us is going to be diagnosed in our lifetime. It's getting close to that now, and I think it. They say it's one out of two men and one out of three women, but it's getting closer to that one out of two. And the thing about it is, is most of us are living our lives. We're we're not really that concerned about it. Uh, some of us are. We don't talk about it. I know it's kind of a down subject for people, but unfortunately, we're all going to have to deal with it either ourselves or with a family member or or one of our close friends. And I like to always say that whether you do, do conventional or natural treatments or both, as I did, you know, just because a doctor tells you that you have stage four or whatever stage it is, probably the 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 earliest you can detect cancer the better but unfortunately a lot of us end up with three and four stages and that's the ones you really have to watch but it's all serious but the thing about it is is if a doctor tells you there's not much they can do for you or you don't have great chances going forward i i just believe that that you can't accept that i believe that you can uh beat cancer you just got to understand what really causes cancer and my book talks about all of that, all the causes. It's not because you inherited it. It's 90% it's of it's self-induced. And I know that there's so much that you can do out there. And again, I go through a lot of things in my book, very simple things you can do. It's easy to read. Um, and uh, you know, I think it's so important to understand that if I can do it and many other people can do it, then why can't you do it? And I interview, I have a foundation, and it's the Templeton Wellness Foundation. I invite you to go and check that out, and you will see the people that I interview. Most of them have had stage four, some three cancers have been pretty much written off, and several of them have had pancreatic cancer, which is usually pretty much a death sentence for most people. And, you know, they've survived, some of them for 20 years or more. And they're doing great now. And what did they do? They did all natural things. They've changed their lifestyle. They cleaned up their environment. Uh, they researched. They, there's so much you can do. And again, I talk about it in my book. But don't give in to or listen to someone. And uh, the best thing you can do is, is take control of your own health. And uh, it's so, so important. But you first got to find out what your chances are. You got to. You got to talk to the doctor, see exactly where you stand. So where can we find your book? I used to have cancer, James Templeton. You can go to Amazon, of course, uh, amazon.com, uh, Barnes and Nobles, uh, most other booksellers. Uh, you can get it at Unikey Health. Unikey Health is my uh, company that I started 28 years ago. Uh, also, other things that I've talked about, you can check us out. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy the book. It's a great read. So I want to invite everybody to pick up I Used to Have Cancer. It is a guide to using alternative approaches to overcoming cancer and regaining your life. Glad to have you with us. Thank it's you been so great. much. It's been great. Thank you so much, Anne Louise. My pleasure.